you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 2. And the question of the hour and the question of this moment is simply this. Are you in a place where you are prepared to hear a word from the Lord and where you are willing to respond no matter how radical that message may be? This morning, we're going to talk about a simple word. It's a word that I believe has been misused and misunderstood, particularly in the context of Baptist churches for many years now. It is a word that has come to mean in our um, discussions and in our churches, it has come to describe people who hear a special word from the Lord that encourages them to spend their life in full-time Christian service or ministry or missions or something to that effect. When in fact, it is a word that is for all of us who are believers in Jesus, who have given our lives to Him and who desire more than anything to follow Him. Because the truth is, If you are a follower of Jesus, you have responded to a call on your life from Him. And this morning, I want to discuss for just a few minutes what it means to be called. Now, we're going to start over the next 40 days. We mentioned reading the Purpose Driven Life together. And part of the reason that we're going to do that is to prepare our hearts and our minds for Easter and what is coming up in Easter. just a little over 40 days. We're going to start reading this afternoon. And so if you have a Purpose Driven Life book, start reading with uh, the first chapter this afternoon. Read one chapter a day for 40 days. Uh, some of you have done that before. I'm encouraging you to do that again uh, along with me. I've done it before and I'm going to do it again starting today. And then uh, also, uh, some of you have not read it. I'm going to encourage you to read it for the first time. But part of the reason that I uh, value that book and what Rick Warren has written there is that he reminds us that there are some basic things in life to which we are all called. But that is based on the initial calling of Jesus in our lives. And in Mark chapter 2, what we have is a depiction of Jesus calling one of the twelve. It's in chapter 2, verse 13. We're just going to read verse 13 and 14 and focus completely today almost on verse 14. It says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. What I want to talk to you about today is the simple fact that Jesus desires for us to live a radical life devoted to Him. A life that is not normal, a life that is not um, okay, it's not status quo, for the people that are around us, that it is different and that it is completely devoted to Him. Over the last uh, few weeks, I've been thinking about this statement that Jesus has called us to himself and a radical new life with him. 
What Jesus says with Matthew here, or Levi, is that he walks up to him and says, I want you to drop everything you have, everything you're doing. I want your past, your present, and your future, your entire life, and I want it now devoted to me. This is Levi. He was a tax collector, right? I mean, it's close to uh, tax season. Some of you have done your taxes. Some of you are about to do your taxes. Some of you don't care about taxes, all right? But here's what I know. I'm a little different because of my status as a pastor and working in the ministry. Uh, Many of you have your taxes taken out on a regular basis, okay? So you get your paycheck and the taxes are already out of there. I have to write a check to the IRS every three months for my taxes. And it is a painful experience when I write United States Treasury on the check. Matthew was the tax collector. He was the one to whom the check was written. Now, we could talk about all the things about how people didn't like him. I mean, he he was uh, somebody that was uh, disassociated from his own people. He was considered a traitor by the Jewish people because he'd worked for the Roman government. We could talk about how that he was a cheater that probably he had probably stolen from people, that there's a good chance, like Zacchaeus, that he had taken more than he was required to take. And so he was not a liked individual at all. But what the important thing to realize here is, when Jesus says to him, follow me, it is a statement asking him to follow Jesus in a radically new life. Let's just be honest for a minute. We don't understand what that means in our country. Many of us in this room have given our lives to Jesus. We have accepted the Lord as our Savior. We've walked down the aisle. We've asked Jesus into our heart. Whatever phrase you want to use. But the truth is, our lives at that moment did not have... real danger involved with that decision. If today there's someone here who, as a believer in Jesus, or for the first time decides to become a believer in Jesus, and they come down front and we talk it through, and we talk about the radical commitment that is there, and we talk about what Jesus is calling our lives to, when they come down front, we'll clap, we'll applaud, we'll say amen, we'll walk out of these doors, and there will be difference But it's not like they're walking out the door and their decision has radically altered their safety or their circumstance. Now, there are people all over the world that have that as the case. That when they make a decision for Jesus Christ, they are abandoning their hopes of having a family like they've always had. They're giving themselves over to probable persecution and possible death or imprisonment. So there are people that when they make a decision for Jesus, understand the nature of the radical commitment. I'm afraid that we as believers in Jesus in this country and in this setting of southeastern United States have forgotten what a radical commitment it is to follow Jesus Christ. I mean, when Jesus says to him, follow me, what he's saying is that he is calling us to give all that we have to up in order to follow him. Now, I want you to notice a few things about this today. First of all, notice that we are called to a relationship, not rules. God has called us to a relationship with Him, not rules. I've been reading recently about a guy who's just kind of interesting me, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
Anybody know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? Know the name? Okay, good. Not many of you. Uh, that's not good. You should. But he was a guy that uh, died shortly before the end of the Second World War. He was a German who fled Germany to come to the United States, lived in New York, taught in New York uh, when Nazis came to power, and decided that he was abandoning his countrymen and his position as a pastor in that country and went back to Nazi Germany, preached the gospel at his own uh, at danger, and even joined a plot to assassinate Hitler. Okay? Well, Bonhoeffer wrote two books that have become very influential. One is called The Cost of Discipleship, and the other is Life Together. And he wrote them because he noticed in his day that there were two extremes going on in the country before the Nazis came to power. One is that people were being legalistic about their faith, that there had rules and orders and things that had to be done in order to be a believer in Jesus. The other thing was that they'd become too formal in their faith. So they came to church, they sang the songs, they listened to the sermons, they took notes, they went to school uh, to learn about uh, Christ, they, they studied the Bible, they did all the things that they were supposed to do, but there was no fire or actual relationship with the Lord. And he writes this book about the fact that anytime we have rules without relationship, we have cheapened what God wants to do in our lives. Now, let me just be real honest with you. As Baptists, we are like the kings at rulemaking. We are really good at making rules about what is right, what is not right, about what is acceptable, what is not acceptable. I was thinking about my grandparents, godly people, Southern Baptists to the core. They were saved when they were 20 and 21 years old. They've been married uh, the the guy that I, I know, the man that was preaching the revival where they were saved, they've both gone to be with the Lord now, but they lived their lives in a Southern Baptist church, and they had certain rules about what it meant to follow the Lord. And you followed those rules if you wanted to be right with Jesus. Now, some of those rules were important, but some of them never made sense to me. For instance, my granny now, lovely lady, great lady, taught Sunday school, children's Sunday school, taught um, uh, vacation Bible school. It would make me go to vacation Bible school the week after my church's Bible school because I might have missed something at my Bible school. We came to her house. You could not bring cards into her house. You know what I'm talking about, playing cards? You might have a grandparent or mom or dad that couldn't bring cards. Why? Because you were gambling. Well, I was seven years old. I didn't know what gambling was. But that was a rule. And in her house or in her presence, your leg better not even look like it's trying to do anything similar to dancing. Right? Because that's a rule. Now, are either one of those in Scripture? No. The answer is no. All right? It's not. I know some of you Baptist minds just got blown. It's not. They don't talk about the playing cards or the jack or the king of spades in Scripture, all right? In fact, the Bible doesn't say anything about cards, but it does talk about dancing. And what does it say about dancing? Dance. Dance unto the Lord. The Bible commands us to dance. But not at my granny's house, all right? Now, why? Because it was about rules. Now, my grandmother loved Jesus, and so it wasn't like she was trying to impose some things. 
But we can easily establish rules that we think make us right with the Lord when they have nothing to do with a relationship with Him. We live in a culture where we don't mind saying we follow Jesus because that means an hour or two a week at church, maybe a mission trip every now and then. It means serving on a committee when they ask us, that's serving the Lord. That's easy. We can do that. Having Jesus as a part of our life on the side is easy. But that's not what He called us to. He called us to a relationship with God Almighty. Now, the second thing is, not only did He call us not to rules, but to a relationship, He called us to a person, not a philosophy. Notice He doesn't ask Levi to tell him what he believes about God or what he believes about the Pentateuch or what he believes about the Torah or what he believes about uh, what he thinks about what happened with David and Bathsheba or can you describe for me what Ezekiel meant in Ezekiel chapter 1? He just says, follow me. It's true that sometimes in our lives we, we get so caught up in trying to decide what we believe that we forget that the call on our lives, every person who is living for Jesus, the call on our lives is to follow Him. Not a philosophy, not a theology, not a discussion about esoteric things, not an intellectual debate. It is a call to Him. Is a call to loyalty to Him. It means that He is the number one thing in our lives, that everything else is secondary. It means every relationship is secondary. It means all jobs are secondary. It means all our life circumstances are secondary. That our primary loyalty in life belongs to Him. That's why He can say things to us about the narrow way and getting rid of things that would prevent us from going down that narrow way. It's as if on this earth sometimes we forget what Jesus has called us to, and we try to hold on to a bunch of stuff that makes no difference in the end. When Jesus would tell people, unless you hate your mother and father, you can't follow me. When Jesus would tell like the rich young ruler that you have to give up everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Sometimes people look at that and go, man, is he just being mean? And the truth is, he's not being mean. He's just saying that whatever you have on this earth that takes priority over the person of Jesus is not worth hanging on to. It's not. Uh, shortly after Susan and I got married, uh, we were in Texas. We moved to Dallas-Fort Worth. We hadn't been there real long. Uh, Dallas-Fort Worth is a big place, all right? It stretches. Uh, it's two cities that have melded together with Arlington in the middle. It's a big place. We've been married just a few weeks, and I had to fly back to Tennessee because one of my best friends from uh, high school and college was getting married and she wanted me to perform the ceremony. And so uh, we uh, had been there so little time, we were not aware of the traffic patterns of Dallas-Fort Worth. And so I left my house with much less time than I needed to to get to the airport to make my flight. Okay? And I remember vividly getting to the airport and realizing that I was going to miss the flight. And seeing on the board that God had somehow shown me favor and that the flight was delayed. My momentary excitement was squelched, however, when I realized as I got through security, they had changed the gate. And it was now on the other end of the terminal. So I did what any 
body would do in that situation. I took off running. All right? Now, this was 13 years ago. I could run a little back then. Today, uh, we missed a flight coming back from Brazil last year, and we ran, but it wasn't the same kind of running as I did 13 years ago. It was, I, I was full out trying to sprint to get there, okay? And you know in those airports how it goes from 37, 36, and you've got to get to 3, and it just seems like it. And then there'll be like a four-and-a-half-mile stretch between 35 and 34, right? So I'm running, and I had decided, I was clever, I thought, that I was going to pack as much stuff as I could into my backpack to be carry-on luggage so I wouldn't have to worry about packing a big bag. Well, that decision was not wise as I had the backpack strapped to me running through the airport. And this is what happened. There were several occasions through the airport when I seriously considered taking that backpack off and just leaving it where it was. I actually did a mental inventory in my mind of what was necessary in that bag and what was not and what I could stuff into my pockets if I had to. Why? Because it's just burdensome, right? Uh, Some of you that have have been uh, overseas or taken an international trip, no matter how light your backpack feels when you start, by the time you get to your destination, it is heavy, right? It's like Jesus is telling us when he's asking about our loyalty. Are you so committed to that stuff you're carrying that is going to be more important than your relationship to me? Here's the last thing. We are called to obedience. Here's what this simple little verse shows us. Is that Matthew, Levi here, was given a choice. He was given a choice, right? Jesus walks up to him and he says, follow me. It wasn't something that he uh, he could say, you know, I, I, I'm not going to do that right now. What he was saying here is, I have got to get up and go. I, I would love to have been there to know if there was more of a conversation. Scripture is very minimalistic here. It just gives us the basics. And this may be all that was said. But I'd love to know what was going on in Matthew's mind. about. Well, did he think for a moment? Did he ponder for a moment? Uh, Scripture seems to suggest and even says that Levi just got up and followed him. The suggestion there is that he didn't even think about it. He just got up and went. That the obedience was immediate. And see, the problem is, sometimes we believe, we think, that we can obey parts of what Jesus says. One writer has said this. The command forces Levi into a choice. He can obey it or disobey, but he can't ignore it. In our negotiations with Jesus, we fail to grasp that anything other than total obedience is disobedience. And here's the one that, the statement that gets me. And just think about your life, where you are in obeying the Lord. It says there is no middle ground. Our stalling, arguing, whining, and ignoring are forms of disobedience that leaves us in a state of perpetual immaturity. Now think about this. You may be saying, well, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to obey. You know, I'm thinking through my life. What am I supposed to do here? How am I supposed to do that? Think about this. We have some things in Scripture we know we're supposed to do. 
I mean, over the next five weeks, part of the reasons I love that Purpose Driven Life book is it lays out five things that we are all supposed to be involved in. We ought to be worshiping the Lord. We ought to be fellowshipping, living life together in community. That we ought to be about learning and developing into the character that God desires for us, the character of Jesus Christ. That ought to be part of who we are. That we ought to be ministering to one another and to the family of God. And that we ought to be reaching out in tangible, real ways, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who have yet to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Those five things are non-negotiable, biblical mandates that we are to be obedient to. So let me ask you a question. When it comes to worship, when it comes to fellowship with fellow believers, when it comes to discipleship and growing in grace and knowledge and in understanding who Jesus is and your character being developed, when it comes to ministering to one another, and when it comes to speaking the truth about who Jesus Christ is to the lost in our community and in your workplaces and in your schools, are you on any of those things stalling, arguing, whining, or ignoring? Are you negotiating in any way with Jesus when you feel the call of the Lord in those moments? Because if you are, that is disobedience. Can you imagine how the story would have been different if Matthew had tried to negotiate? You know what, Jesus? That, that is a great, that's a great offer. You know, can, can you give me a couple of days to think about it? I'd like to go home. I'd like to talk to some people. I'd like to do the pros and the cons. I'd like to think about, you know, I'm trying to decide whether or not this is really what is right for me. Matthew doesn't show any sign of that. It's just, okay. Can you imagine if he would have uh, tried to say, Jesus, I can follow you today and tomorrow, but I've got some appointments starting on Wednesday that I cannot miss. Can you imagine Matthew saying, well, now, how long are we talking about here? I mean, is this a two-month commitment? Is this a six-month commitment? I mean, are you really asking me for everything? I mean, am I going to have to give up? You know, I've I'm, I'm got a pretty good living going here. Am I going to give this up? Or can I do this on the side and kind of follow you when it's convenient as well? That just doesn't make sense, does it? When Jesus looks at Matthew and says, follow me, he means Follow me. And the truth is, the call on your life and the call on mine is follow me. I'll be honest with you. In preparing, in preparing for uh, the message this week, there were a few times when I almost felt like, you know, we as a church are doing a complete disservice when we proclaim the gospel we've been proclaiming that makes it sound so easy in life. Because when you look in the Scripture, none of the disciples thought it was an easy thing to follow Jesus. None of them thought it was a comfortable thing to follow Him. And none of them had any semblance of being able to hold on to their former life when they were following him. Now, I'm not suggesting that I'm telling you all to leave everything you're doing and to start on a new path. What I am saying is this. We have all, every one of us, been called to a radical, personal relationship with Jesus that will require obedience 
in the things that He calls us to do. And my question for you is simply this. Are you following Him? Completely? Unapologetically? I read something this week that said, we've deceived ourselves into thinking that Jesus wants to make us nice people. And that Jesus did not die for our sins to make us nice people. He died in order that we might have a radical relationship with Him and a radical impact on the world around us. My question is, are you being obedient? Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk more about what that means and what that looks like. But the simple question is, are you being obedient?